You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. Yesterday, you might not have known that, but uh, Mike Reniker remarried a girl named Patty Stallmaker, and uh, I had a great time with them. And uh, you know, this place gets rearranged, and we do many things, and so it was just kind of neat to see that happen. And uh, gave the gospel in that in that marriage ceremony, and uh, as they asked, and we always hope that someone finds and hears the truth and finds Christ as a result. Uh, today's theme is kind of the, actually the this book of Colossians as we go through this in the next few weeks is all about the gospel and we're going to try to present that again but uh, I hope it doesn't get tiring to anyone here because that's what we're all about. Uh, you can recall that uh, in June of 2021 we witnessed that collapse of the Champlain Tower South that was in uh, Surfside, Florida. You might remember that. And uh, the building was 40 years old. And aside from the you know, typical wear and tear on a building that old, it didn't show any outside visible issues that was going to cause trouble. But as we learned later on, that there were several reports of structural issues that were ignored under the surface. They were, uh, there were developing weaknesses that eventually would cause that building to uh, erode and collapse. And, and I, I wanted to uh, remind us today, really, that in a similar way, believers in Christ who seem to be okay on the outside, that everything might be going well in terms of how we project that to someone else, And yet there are those who have been, I think, led down roads of just thinking and sometimes even doctrinally or practically down roads that eventually are going to cause an internal erosion of their faith. Uh, It happens all the time. And so uh, this text that we're going to go through today uh, is to remind us uh, that, uh, as as Paul wrote Colossians, that there was a huge concern about uh, those who were uh, new in the faith and what was happening in their lives and so on and their their testimony. And there were those coming into the church who were causing uh, issues and trouble. So we're going to be looking at some of those things uh, as as the weeks go by. Uh, But... uh, uh, Colossae, the, the, the city of Colossae, which we're talking about today, was about 80 miles uh, uh, to the uh, uh, east of, of, of Ephesus. You recall Ephesus right on the edge of uh, Asia and then 
80 miles in was Colossae, and then you had two, two other twin towns, Laodicea and Hierapolis, and the three of them were all very close together. And uh, Paul did not minister uh, to the Colossians himself personally, but he did write this letter. And uh, it's just an interesting uh, look that we're going to see in terms of how God works through just ordinary people to establish his, his gospel and uh, the criticalness of us understanding how God wants to use us in the same way. Uh, if you, uh, if you uh, understand uh, uh, just, just the word of God in terms of what Paul's trying to do here, uh, as he writes this text, and I, I'm, I just I don't want to give a lot of overview today, but just to remind us that uh, Colossians uh, had an infiltration of people who were trying to change the gospel and really were causing some internal issues. And uh, uh, so that's going to be an issue we're going to look at in a few weeks. Uh, but just the fact that there's this uh, town uh, and he writes this letter and uh, as he even begins to write this letter, I'm going to read uh, from verses 1 to 8, and we're just going to see some introductory comments here and look at these this morning and how it affects even how we process our faith today. It begins by saying this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. Uh, so uh, kind of introduction here, but uh, there's a lot uh, even to understand in these first few uh, verses of, of this letter. Uh, first of all, just to understand that Epaphras is the one who had a major influence on the Colossian people. Uh, and then uh, if you were to look over in chapter 4, verse 13, you'd see that Epaphras also had a major influence on the other two cities of Laodicea uh, and, uh, and the uh, neighboring, neighboring Hierapolis. So he's, he's had his influence in this crowd. Matter of fact, back in... Uh, Verse seven, here in verse 7, we just read, you see that Epaphras, our fellow servant, is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So he has uh, obviously been a, a leader and one who has given the gospel to those in Colossae. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, there's a commentary that simply says that while Paul was in Ephesus for two years, all of Asia heard the gospel. So somewhere in that journey, Epaphras came to Christ. It may not be that it was through Paul directly. We don't know that, but uh, he certainly came to Christ during Paul's ministry in, in, uh, uh, in Ephesus. And so uh, I want to just make a statement about that today, which is simply this, that you and I have no idea uh, the impact that takes place when we share the gospel with anyone. 
We have no idea where it's going to go, how it's going to effectively work in someone's life, if someone's going to respond or not. Uh, sometimes we share the gospel with someone and we think, well, that was a failure. Nobody, nobody seemed to respond. Nobody seemed to care. And uh, sometimes we can have discussions like that. Years ago, I had a fellow that I was having a spiritual conversation with, and I was trying to explain the gospel to him. And uh, uh, another fellow was, was sort of there, but he, he wasn't in the conversation, and he was just listening. And uh, uh, when we all got out of the military, uh, this other fellow um, who left, and he was kind of a friend, and his name was Norman, and he, uh, he went back to New Jersey. And you kind of forget about people when you get back into life. And he called me up, I don't know, a year or so later, he called me up and said, can I come out and visit with you? And I said, that'd be great, Norm. So uh, he came out, and uh, his uh, opening statement to me with a big smile was, I gave my life to Christ. And I said, Norm, that's fantastic. Well, yeah, but it, it happened because, remember that conversation you were having, and he told me with who, and I'm... Yeah, I kind of vaguely remember that. Well, he says, I was just listening, and I, 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 I never got out of my mind. I went home. I, I decided to, he was Catholic. He said, I decided to go to a, a church that was in my neighborhood. I went, and the pastor was talking about some of the same things I heard you talk about, and I knew that's what I wanted in my life. You have no idea how, in a conversation, someone else picks up on that. And so it's critically important we understand that. And even as Paul is writing this, he's, uh, you know, he's uh, unveiling to us in a sense that uh, a lot's taking place uh, in these few verses that he's concerned about with this church. You know, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And so he's just sort of spelling this out. But we read in verse 7 that this Epaphras is the one who actually took the word of God and, and broke it to these people. And suddenly you have believers in, in Colossae, in uh, two other towns. And it's an amazing story of just what's unfolded without Paul being there. And I kind of like that kind of story. Uh, if you think about our study today, if you think about it, the, the book of Ephesians, which we all know, is kind of an emphasis on the church, the body of Christ. Uh, the book of Philippians, when you get into it, you realize it's kind of about the, the joy of knowing Christ. And when we get into Colossians, we're talking about really the supremacy of Christ and the fact that he's the head of the church. And so uh, as we'll be looking at that in our, in our study, and that's very important. When a person comes to know uh, Jesus Christ in who he is and in his power, uh, that person will, or at least should, uh, uh, reflect a, an appreciation and a desire to uh, have the centrality of Christ in their life. That should be the first thing that you see when someone comes to Christ. Uh, they should recognize uh, that there's no other place for the Lord to be than in the center of a person's life, Right? And so if Christ is not at the center of someone's life, and so I'm speaking to somebody today who may have received Christ in your life, but maybe you know in your heart today as you sit here that he's not first or he's not central. He's, he's in my life, yes, I, I believe I'm a believer. I've, I've received Christ as my Savior, but he's not really Lord in the sense that he's in the center of my life. I kind of don't think that's true. And if you're saying that, I just want to say that you're in a position that's very concerning. You're very vulnerable, really, to invasive thoughts. And the book of Colossians is all about the fact that Christians are going to be attacked. And Paul's writing this letter, really, to 
uh, sort of warn them and sort of wake them up to issues that are happening uh, around them and, and into their faith. And so that's the reason why he wrote this letter to really raise the issue of who is Jesus uh, in their lives. And so, you know, I, I as a pastor here, I'm concerned that uh, people can have an attack from the evil one in their life about their faith. And if Christ is not central, I'm just saying to you as a pastor who loves you today that uh, you're playing, uh, you're, you're flirting and playing with a game that's going to really hurt your life and destroy your faith because Satan is looking for someone who says they follow Jesus, but he's not central in their lives. And that's a big issue. And that's really what Paul's going to be addressing. Uh, this letter starts out as an official statement. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It sounds very official. Uh, and we know that uh, it's okay for Paul to say he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, it says, uh, because uh, Paul's own testimony reveals the fact that he was uniquely converted and uniquely called to uh, be an apostle. No one else like his story uh, is around. But the reason he's saying this is because there are others who have come into this flock calling themselves apostles, and that's going to be a problem down the road. So Paul's uh, writing this letter, starting off very formal by saying, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I was chosen by God for this. Uh, I was not self-appointed. And so the other apostles that are probably coming into uh, the Colossi believers are those who have self-appointed their, their, their leadership and so on. And Paul's already uh, wanting to set the record straight that he's the one in charge. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Then he says, and Timothy, and then he says, our brother, which is an amazing thing. So he goes from a formal letter, really, to a very personal letter when he includes Timothy and calls Timothy our brother. So what he's saying is that all of you in Colossae who are believers, along with myself and Timothy, were all the same. Uh, and I just want to remind us that one of the unique things about the church of Jesus Christ is that all of us who have placed faith in Christ, we are all the same here today. If you've given your life to Christ and I've given my life to Christ, we're just the same. There's no hierarchy in this church. I just want to say that I, I, when you come from other churches and you uh, have other church experiences, uh, sometimes people can come across sort of on a pedestal type of leadership. That is not, I think, uh, biblical and I don't think it's correct. And so Paul's setting the record straight here, even in saying this. And then he says in verse two, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. So it's a, a letter to all the saints, which he has included himself as one of them, as a brother in Christ with them. Uh, and those who are faithful. And the typical greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ couldn't be a better greeting to say to anyone uh, if it's sincere. So uh, this is how he begins. And then, of course, uh, as we understand, uh, Paul is wanting to, uh, uh, he'll be wanting to uh, uh, reveal to us again, these who have come into the flock and as we'll see in just a moment here, the, the Colossian believers are, are going to be bombarded with things outside of the gospel. So he begins his letter by wanting to just sort of redefine the very simple things that uh, are important for them. Uh, we gave thanks to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. The first thing he's saying is the most important thing you can ever, ever think about anyone else. If I'm uh, 
Uh, as a believer in Christ, if I'm concerned about anyone else, the, the major concern I have for anyone that I meet is do they know Christ? And secondly, do they love believers? Because if a person says, I, 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 I believe in Jesus and I, I want to follow Christ, but they don't really have any concern about having a relationship with believers in Christ, they're probably not genuine believers. And the reason I'm saying this because, uh, and why this is so important here and so simple in the text is because uh, it's the sign uh, of your love for Christ that you love your fellow believers, right? Right out of 1 John. Those who, uh, if you love those who you do see, if you don't love those who you do see, how can you love the one who you do not see? Uh, so uh, there's, a, there's a reminder here that these saints are living, and I want to call us this morning to this, that if we have a faith in Christ, then there should be accompanying that a love for fellow saints. Uh, this church, hopefully through the years, will typify a crowd of believers who love Jesus Christ, right? And, and I trust that that would be true down through the years and the years ahead. Uh, so when Paul uh, brings this up, that's, that's a very important thing. And the first thing he wants us to understand in this letter is what he says uh, in this text, that there's this uh, understanding of faith in Christ, love for all the saints. Uh, these are the most important things that should happen. And uh, you know, again, I want to remind us today that anytime we hear somebody who comes to Christ or who rededicates their life, recommits their life to Christ, whichever it might be, uh, in our church or in our sphere of influence, there should be a, a, a call on our hearts to step up ourselves and be encouragers of somebody who's new in the faith or somebody who's sort of recommitted their life in faith. And secondly, is that we would help that person connect with other people. That's, that's crucial for us. It's pretty common for people who profess Christ uh, when they first, uh, you know, make a decision for Christ, it's pretty common for somebody to to enjoy being with saint with the saints. That, that 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 should go hand in hand, and that should look obvious. But what I want to say to us today is, unfortunately, that's not always the way it works. It seems like somebody comes to Christ, and the one thing that Satan wants to rob out of your life is he wants to cause you to doubt your faith, or he wants to pull you back into something that you shouldn't be involved in, that would be a sinful thing in your life, that would, in his mind, contaminate your faith, and then he wants to pull you away from the body of Christ. And so what happens is that a new believer can sometimes get their eyes on something else or go to a website and bump into some kind of other truth, and uh, that other truth can lead them down some kind of path that leads them away from uh, the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of loving fellow believers. And I want to just say this is so crucial for us in our church to understand that this is a problem. New believers need desperately to be nurtured uh, in, 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 in their faith, and they need faithful prayers of the saints to keep them on track. So when he, uh, when he talks about this, he says, we're praying always for you, it says in verse 3, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So he's saying that this is something that has caused us to pray often. Now, Paul, again, he hadn't been there, but he's saying, since I heard of your new faith, I have not ceased to pray for you. 
And that, that's a convicting thing for me. Uh, and I trust and hope it might be for you. Uh, today, I want to address that because I think that we should understand the criticalness of a church that's in prayer for uh, newer, uh, younger, uh, or rededicating uh, believers who uh, need to have that stability in their life and those who are strong in the faith next to them. When I read that, uh, of course, I ask my own question, why should I be thankful and always praying for those who have received Christ and who love fellow saints. What, what's the reason that I should be constantly in prayer about that? And he tells us why in verse 5. And he says, because of the hope. Because of the hope which is laid uh, up for them in heaven. Uh, we should be uh, praying for uh, fellow saints, especially those who are younger. I'm thinking of maybe in your family, some of your kids who have recently gotten saved. We've had some baptisms that happened just weeks ago. Uh, maybe someone else has just, you know, uh, just really renewed their faith and so on. And as we sort of figure out who that person might be around us, it just should cause us to have this understanding like Paul does that they should go immediately on my prayer list. And I should be praying for them. And why? Well, number one, because of the hope which is laid up for, the, for them that they don't even know about yet. Uh, uh, look at what Paul wrote back just a couple of pages back in Philippians 3. Uh, and look what Paul wrote for all of us to remind ourselves today. Uh, verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Uh, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And, you know, Paul is even stating there that there's this hope that we have that has become so real to us. Uh, uh, laying in the hospital a few years ago waiting for a heart surgery caused me to just reflect on uh, on myself in relationship to Christ and my own hope. When you're facing what might be uh, a death issue or certainly something critical like that, you, you take a little more serious uh, the things that you say you believe. It becomes more real, more impacting. And so uh, with somebody who uh, is a new Christian and they're in a, kind of in, a, in an environment like we have here with family and friends and uh, it's kind of easy to just sort of get lost in the shuffle of thinking this is just how it is and we're all okay. But uh, what's happening is that uh, people can sort of just drift away from truth. And that's very dangerous. And so I'm just saying that uh, there's this sort of understanding that there's a hope that I see ahead of time that sometimes people just lose sight of. Uh, the fact is, folks, I'm going to glory. I'm going to heaven. I don't know if that even excites you sometimes. I think sometimes Christians are like, oh, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to heaven. That'll be great. Uh, when that day comes, that'll be wonderful. But uh, it's almost like it doesn't have a, a, a driving uh, influence in our life that it ought to have. But 
Life is just such a moment of, of a breath away from eternity. And so what should be one of the most compelling things in my life that gives me uh, excitement about what I say I believe and holds me in place to that? And it's this tremendous hope that I have that Paul's talking about. I press on. I don't want to just sort of clutch on to an old story from the past, he's saying. Uh, it's not like I've already apprehended this. He's saying, I haven't arrived yet spiritually, but forgetting what's behind, I'm reaching forward to what's ahead. Uh, I'm pressing toward the goal, and we need to demonstrate this to new Christians that you've got to keep pressing in your life because Satan knows if I, if I take my foot off the gas in my life and I just kind of go at a slower pace, he's going to find me somehow, and he's going to pull me away. It's, it's a thing that I think new believers can get distracted so quickly. Like I said, they can, uh, sometimes you can go online and you're looking for uh, maybe a key word or a key thought about your faith and what that means. And today there's so many voices telling us what's out there and what we ought to be doing, what we're missing in our life and so on. It's, it's very dangerous uh, to, uh, to explore. Uh, there's a church not far not far from us, that believes you can raise people from the dead. And so uh, if I was sick and ill, I might want to go to that church and check that out. I had a, a friend who I led to Christ, uh, a co-worker, and years ago uh, he started coming to church uh, with us. And then uh, he got sidetracked because there was a sickness in his family. And he started going to a faith healing church. I'm not preaching against that today, but I am saying that he started going to that, and that particular crowd was uh, not healthy for him. And uh, eventually, it got to the point where he got so disillusioned with his faith, he stopped going to church altogether because God didn't heal the person in his family. And I got with him, you know, uh, uh, almost a year and a half later, and I just said, "You, you've stepped into territory that, where you don't belong. Uh, you've left the simplicity of the truth of the gospel for something else that you thought was better, more powerful, whatever the case may be. And you've, you've gone down this road, and it's not a good road. And it's going to leave you with a feeling of emptiness. And it's going to make your faith seem so uh, uh, impotent. And, and you, you, you're doubting your, your very faith in Christ now. And, and that's kind of what Paul's concerned about with the Colossian believers. And so he says that we as stronger believers should be praying constantly for those who have faith in Christ uh, and for their love for all the saints. And when I see a Christian drift out of fellowship with other believers, that's one of the first signs I look at and say, okay, there's trouble in that home. Uh, when somebody d wants to distance themselves from other believers socially, uh, when people uh, don't want to pray with fellow believers, uh, for whatever reasons you might come up with, that's a dangerous place to be because you're telegraphing something's wrong in your spirit about your relationship with Christ. So he first says, because of the hope, that's the first reason I should be always praying. But then secondly, in verse 6, he has a second reason for constantly praying. And he says, uh, and here it's because of the fruit. He says, which has come to you as it has also in the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. The second reason that we should be constantly praying is because there should be spiritual fruit taking place out of someone's life. And what's interesting about this is that in verse 5, he tells us that this gospel message 
that, that they have received. Uh, notice what it says here. Uh, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. They heard this word before they actually received it. It's what he's saying. And then in verse 6, he says, which has come to you. Uh, the gospel doesn't sit dormant. The gospel isn't some neutral message that, uh, that we have, that we learn and that we process. And uh, it's not like you take a, a nugget of truth and you pick it up and then, and then you just say, I believe in this. It's, it's a powerful uh, act of God as he, his word goes out and his words never returns void. So when his word goes out, uh, that word is going out to you. That word is reaching out to you. Uh, you did not, as I've always said, you did not receive Christ because you chose to. You received Christ because he set his word into your heart. And so there's a sense that we should always be praying that, uh, yes, that there's this hope that we should have before us every day. But there's secondly, this idea that there should be spiritual fruit taking place. And he, and he actually says, as it has also in all the world. And it's bringing forth fruit, this message. I was reading uh, uh, just uh, the, the life story of Spurgeon recently and was reminded that as he uh, as a young man began preaching uh, the crowds were uh, responding because of his uh, articulate approach and his unique uh, style and, uh, and and you know it wasn't a, it wasn't like the service was anything spectacular uh, uh, they sang a, they usually sang two hymns uh, read a scripture had a prayer and then he would preach and uh, uh, the church in England was packed, and it was constantly packed uh, through the years of his ministry. And uh, all he did was stay faithful to the Word of God and preach the Word of God. But it was, of course, his style and his articulation and his power as he trusted God and, and uh, gave himself to that cause. And so people were drawn to that. But the conviction of the sermons were uh, that that was the, the biggest issue. Uh, as people were hearing the word of God, it's not Spurgeon, it's the word of God that they heard, and it's the word of God that changed their lives. And so uh, in my own life and in your life, we have this gospel message that we have internalized. And as Paul is saying here, Epaphras heard this truth and he received Christ somewhere in that journey. And it so changed his life that he immediately went back. Uh, according to verse seven here, he went back to his own people and gave the word of God to those in Colossae. Uh, that that's what he knew to do. That so it's it's sort of like that. And so I am concerned today because we live in this modern day when uh, it's so comfortable and so easy to get saved, and we have the truth of God in us. But I'm on conviction, and so should you, about how often we do not witness of the truth that we know. Uh, we're all guilty of that because we have not been as faithful as we should be. So I can be as hard on myself as I can on all of us. And, and so, again, a church that's praying that those who are new in Christ would be faithful to what they know, uh, would be uh, inspired to, uh, to see the glory ahead in their life and stay faithful to what they know. And, and the fact that there should be spiritual fruit coming from our lips and from our lives uh, as people get around us and hear this truth that's 
convinced us and convicted us that we should be new creatures in Christ as a result. And so uh, that's, that's what I think Paul is trying to say to these folks here. The gospel that is in us leads us to others who need to hear its truth. Do you believe that? And the challenge for us is in the day that we live in, I think, is that we need to be praying for God to help us uh, be able to express that truth to someone. It should be a constant prayer in our lives as believers in Christ. And I think that's, that's, that's the most important thing. There should be a constant sense of prayer in our lives that, Lord, uh, give me words to say and empower my words in a way that, that they are used to effectively uh, uh, change someone else's life as they hear your word through my words. We need to be praying that God would empower our witness and speak through our feebleness because that's just who we are. So the power of the gospel is our greatest weapon. It still is, always will be. There's no other truth that we need. That's going to be one of the things he's going to talk about in this book as we go through the book uh, is that you don't need anything else besides the truth of the gospel. That's the most powerful thing that we have in our uh, in our. Uh, uh, weaponry that is going to have an impact on someone's life. First Corinthians one eighteen says it for the message of the cross. We all know is foolishness uh, to those uh, who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I hope that uh, in my conversations with people more and more as I get older and as I. I think that, you know, I, as I look, it's that, uh, you know, I spy game. You ever play I spy? I hate that game. Uh, you know, you, you get, uh, when the kids were here uh, a few weeks ago, that's, that, that's what they want to play. So it's like, I'm in the car waiting while Marilyn's in the store. And I got the kids in the car. And it just starts. I see something green. And I'm like, everything's green <laughs> around here. So I'm like, keep it in the car. Keep it in the car. There's no green in the car. So then we try, oh, I see something red. And then, you know, you got red stuff in the car. So you got to go this one, this one, this. Nope, 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 nope. And I'm like, you're changing it. You already, I already picked the one you had, and you changed it on me. You know, it's just, the, it's a silly game we play. But something about our kids uh, when we think about just what we have in our hearts that's truth, uh, somehow there just needs to be an opportunity when we can actually uh, uh, find an I spy moment in our lives when I see an opportunity to share Christ with someone. Even with those kids in the car, there was an I spy moment where I could say, you know what? And then you just sort of talk about something else and change the subject to something about belief and so on. Uh, I'm just saying that we need to be about the business of looking for those moments when God's doing something around us and maybe we haven't got a clue. If you're like me and you go in the grocery store, I, I rarely do, but when I go in the grocery store, I'm on a, I'm on a mission. It's just to get one thing. I'll, so I'll march in, go to what I want, get it, and get out. Don't hang around. You, know? you don't need to look for anything else. Okay, but here's the thing. When you're doing that, 
you're, uh, I'm like a Mack truck. You just go in, get it, go. I'm not looking for people. I'm not looking for conversations. And every once in a while, you'll bump into somebody from church, and it's like, <sighs> so, what are you doing here? You know, well, I'm just in here to get some candy or whatever. I, you know. And you, then you have to answer all the questions and so on. And I love you, but you know, sometimes you just get inconvenienced <laughs> if I'm in a hurry. But what happens is, and I'm rebuking myself, because what happens is I'm not looking for that person that maybe is just, you know, I don't know. Some, sometimes you'll see somebody who's just kind of broken, somebody who's sometimes crying. I've seen that when I'm shopping with somebody else. You see somebody's got a problem here. Uh, there are issues going on. Sometimes it's in a conversation where you just be polite and kind and ask somebody some questions, and you find out, wow, these folks, these folks are looking for something more than bread. And I guess I'm just saying that we need to pray every day that God would order our steps so that when we go out from our house, we're actually looking for people around us who need to hear that story that we have in our hearts, that we say is the most important story in my life. And if it's the most important story in your life, it should be on the tip of your tongue it should be that which is hard to hold back. I don't know about you. Does this spark in you a, a desire to see this happen in your life? Because I can just tell you that I'm hoping it does. Would it, would it not thrill your soul today to experience the joy of salvation working in the hearts of someone close to you? Don't you sometimes just have an ache in your heart for someone else that needs the hope of the living Christ in their life. And it just hurts because you know they don't have that. I, I, I want to read this to you. I, I skipped over it. I want to go back to it. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see as Paul addresses this issue. He's reminding Timothy, but it's certainly true for all of us. Let me read chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Let me first of all just stop for a second. When Paul writes this, we have to remember who came into power during Paul's imprisonment, but Nero, just about the worst character that you can think of leading uh, the Romans. And, and, uh, and here's Paul who writes this, and I can imagine that there were many believers under great persecution who would have read this and said, wait a minute, I, I'm supposed to supplicate, that means begging God, I'm supposed to have prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks for someone like that? <laughs> for kings and all who are in authority? All those people abusing authority? As I read this, I'm thinking today that uh, it's that call back to prayer it's the callback that says Christians have something that no one else understands. 
Christians have something that no one else understands. No one else can, can go to. It's not, the, not a go-to place for anyone else. But Christians, it's the first go-to place we have. And it's always by God guaranteed. I always find that interesting. So he calls us to pray for these. And then look at verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, please hear this today, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who himself, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Uh, So I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that there isn't a person that crosses our path that God isn't concerned about. I think that's very important for us to to take in. Uh, God uh, is calling us, and here's Paul instructing Timothy to have the right heart toward people. He begins with politics and authority, and then he, he boils it down to everyone that comes into your life and anyone that you have direct contact with. These all are those that God desires to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's immediately a sense that this is what I think is so important that Paul wants to stress, even to the Colossian believers, that this gospel that has affected them was something that was brought to them. The gospel came to them. They didn't go to the gospel. That's the first thing that we want to say. That That's us taking the gospel somewhere else. That's why we say a, a, a Typically, a, mem- a, a neighbor or a student in school or somebody else in your life, a coworker, uh, in general, they're probably not looking for the gospel in their life. The gospel comes to them through an ambassador. And that's who we are. And Paul's reminding these Colossian believers that we heard of your faith. We, we are praying constantly because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. If you only knew that hope like I do is what he's saying, uh, that would be a reason why we want to pray. You don't miss that or lose sight of that. And secondly, he says, because of the fruit that's come, that should be coming out of your life, that is coming, that's having an impact around the world, not just with your lives. I, I, I love the fact that as a church, we can give here and we know that we have missionaries. I believe we have great missionaries. If you assess the missionaries that we have chosen to support, I think they're really good people. Sometimes you question, you know, if a missionary doesn't communicate well, we've had a couple of those. That doesn't mean they're not pouring their heart out in ministry. Sometimes they just don't write letters. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes that's the case, but we have discovered that most of our missionaries are just really sharp, keen on the gospel, leading people to Christ, And that thrills my soul that we're a part of that somewhere else. But can you imagine how a missionary who's out there that we support, how they would be encouraged if we could write letters to them and say, the people that are coming to Christ in Tuscarora's County as a result of our witness and sharing him is an amazing thing. Do you know that that would spark them in their world to be faithful in sharing the gospel where they are? 
Because what happens is that we all kind of just base our heart on somebody else. If, if, and so when something's not happening, and I bear the weight of this myself, if people aren't getting saved, and sometimes I think that's just me and I have to punish myself because I'm not witnessing all the time like I should. And so what happens is that you want to see God doing that. And I'm just saying that's what I want in my last days here is I see God just an outbreak of God doing something. And the outbreak comes from us having a brokenness and praying, praying, praying that God will use us in a conversation with somebody to share the thing that has changed our life. And we think it's worth sharing with somebody else. It's God's work, isn't it? It's God's work to penetrate a person's heart with the truth. It's our work to simply declare the truth that we've already received. That's all. You just share the truth. If God does the work of affecting somebody's life, all we do is share what we know. It's not us winning people to Christ. It's him winning people to himself through our witness. So I, I just want to challenge us today that we would become encouragers to new believers uh, especially in this church, that we would be praying constantly that they would stay faithful, that they would sense the, the, the hope that's ahead of them in the gospel of, of Christ, uh, that they would uh, bear fruit out of their life. I'm going to just, uh, I'm just going to say this, that when we talk about next gen as one of our ministries, and it's exciting to think about, but I don't want our church to lean on that and say that we're sharing the gospel because next gen is doing it. That's just, that's just a one avenue that God has allowed us to have an inroad in the, in the schools, which is exciting to me that to be a part of that. But that cannot be my part by just saying, way to go, next gen. Go, go sick them. Go, go, uh, go into all the schools and reach the unsaved people. And at the same time, while well, we're not talking about Christ ourselves in conversations with people. So the next time I go into the grocery store, I'll be very excited about what I'm going in for. But if I'm more excited about that than I am about looking for somebody who needs to hear what I believe and what I know, I'm in the wrong place. I'm doing the wrong thing. I am not representing the truth that I say I believe. Does that make sense? I'm being tough on us a little bit today because this is who we are. And what happens is that when a church doesn't promote that, when a church promotes nice stories and feel-good messages and all those things that we can do all the time, when that takes place, no one's going to hear about Christ. No one's going to hear the gospel because we've exchanged the gospel for something else. And that's what's happening across the board in a lot of churches. You do know that. And so God help us to stay faithful in the days ahead. God help us to be in prayer for opportunities to share the testimony we have. God help us uh, to uh, see that those who receive Christ in our body stay faithful. I don't want to lose anyone to the world or to a darker, deeper truth, some other strange teaching that some get pulled into, sucked into by the world around us. I don't want to lose those people to that and so I'm saying to myself, I'm not going to let that happen by my own strength through Christ. I'm going to fight that fight as best I can that we don't lose people to the wrong truths. Because that's so much around us. Satan is trying to do that to people's lives, even today.
I wonder how many are in this room who would say, uh, you know, I prayed for something specific in my life and God didn't answer that prayer and I'm really questioning my faith or I'm really questioning my church or I'm really questioning uh, uh, just the, the whole message of the, of the Bible. I, I, I'm not sure anymore. Uh, my, uh, my sister, when my sister passed away, Years ago, Sherry, she died of cancer. When she passed away, I can remember being with her the week before she died. And I picked her up and carried her into bed and realized that my sister was just a bag of bones and wasn't going to last long. And I had her telling me in a feeble voice, I wish the church had come and prayed for me. To which they did. They did come and pray. But she was watching, you know, other ministries on TV that were talking about if you believe this, if you if you do this, and if you say this, you know, that God will heal you, there's no reason for you to be sick, and all that kind of stuff, and thinking that it's sin and all that going on. And uh, there's been others like that. Years ago, I went into a teacher in Canada, a teacher who was dying of cancer as well, a lady in our church. Her husband was there and her kids, her two daughters. And under my breath, I was battling with God. And I was saying, I want to pray with such faith right now that she would just get up off that bed and be healed. And the temptation is sometimes, as Christians, is that when we think that we're missing something. When we think that there's something more than, than the truth of the gospel of Jesus and the fact that that lady was on her way to heaven, and I'm thinking about robbing her from that because I think I'm going to raise her from, from cancer, stage four cancer in the last days of her life. My brother-in-law died last week. And uh, again, uh, you just want to raise people up. You want to say the magic prayer that's going to get them off the bed and they're going to be uh, okay. And that's not what God promises, and that's not what the gospel's all about. My brother-in-law, when I stepped in the room, my brother-in-law, who died last week in Cleveland, I walked in the room, he had a smile on his face, and he said, I have such peace. I thought, now that's a testimony. You see, when it comes down to it, that's all we have. It's Christ and Christ crucified and risen. That's what we have. And we don't want to lessen that. I don't want to make light of that. I don't want that to become the uh, sort of second-class truth that I believe in. And when churches say that you shouldn't have sickness, you shouldn't have bad health, if you just had enough faith, you could change your life tomorrow, uh, you shouldn't have financial trouble, you shouldn't have this or that, when... Churches sell that. They are shortchanging the greatest truth they should be preaching, that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And if we give our lives to him, you are guaranteed to be heirs with Christ and to be with him for eternity. That's the fact that we need to put our hope in. Everything else is secondary, but that should be the first thing that's in our hearts. When Paul writes to these Colossian believers, that's what he's concerned about. They're, they're going to be hearing some truths and some things that, are, are really mistruths that are going to lead them away from the truth. And he was concerned about that in writing that letter.
So as we study it, may we process that in our own life. And the first thing I want us to process today is our testimony in Christ and what it means to us to know the gospel that has set us free. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is true and good and gracious. Your word has affected our lives in such a way. Those of us who have recognized your truth and have placed our faith in you, have repented of sin and have uh, chosen to follow you and believe in you. Lord, that amazing truth that has miraculously changed our life on the inside. Other people need that. Friends and relatives and even strangers around us, people desperately need that truth. And you are not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, you want us to share with people that truth that has so affected us and changed our life. Lord, help us to not lose the, the tremendous blessing of that life-changing message in our hearts. Lord, forgive us for being distracted or being mesmerized by the things of this world or by even the, the comfortableness of our life that would prevent us from speaking out and saying something when we really know we should because we're so afraid of the response. Lord, I know that people will react. Some will be negative. But someone will hear. Someone will listen and say, that makes sense. I want that in my life. And the only way that takes place is if someone speaks your truth. Lord, help us this week to pray that way in our lives and pray for those who are saved, who are newly saved, but yes, also pray for the ones that we're going to encounter Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in our lives that we might see an opening to share. Thank you for your word and that reminder today. Help us to be faithful as your people. Lord, if someone does not know you in this crowd, may there be a tug at their heart that says, I don't have answers that bring hope. I don't have a life that seems to be going anywhere. I, I don't see a positive future the way I'm living. Lord, may you convict that person and bring them and draw them to you, that they would see the hope that they're missing out on. That's the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us now, bless us as a church. Thank you for all who are here today, and may your spirit go with us as we leave. Do your work in our lives, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right, we're going to make sure you come and greet John. I tried to leave time for that, so come and say uh, we love you. Not too many hugs. Well...